we've been studying the life of Joseph, and we've talked about these uh, character tests that Joseph has ha had to go through. Uh, at 17 years old, he was sold into slavery. His brothers wanted to kill him. Uh, they ended up selling him into slavery. Uh, we talked about the pride test, how you know, any of these things, any of these character flaws in our life will prevent us from getting to our destiny. God has given each of us dreams, and there's a destiny that God has for each one of you that are here this morning. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And so we go through what uh, the Bible describes as the refiner's fire, that we, you know, if there's some things in our life that God wants to fix, we go through these different types of tests. And so we talked about Joseph going through the pride test, and then he was thrown into the pit. He went through the pit test, and then he was at the palace where he was in charge of uh, Potiphar's, uh, all of Potiphar's uh, uh, goods, and, and he was the administrator at Potiphar's, uh, in Potiphar's palace. Uh, then we talked about the purity test, how he had this encounter with Potiphar's wife, and yet Joseph remained uh, faithful to, uh, to his God and to his convictions. Uh, as a result of that, as a result of doing good things or a good thing, he was thrown into prison. We talked about the prison test. And uh, last week we talked about uh, going into Pharaoh's court at the age of 30 after he had interpreted the dreams. We talked about the power test, just what happens when you're thrown into or placed into a position of authority. Do you try to lord it over people or are you humble in that position? So today we want to talk about... Um, this, uh, this test of uh, the pardon test, uh, and, and I want you to just think about it. Joseph was sold into slavery uh, by his brothers, and remember that they initially wanted to kill him. I want you to think about it. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's position. Uh, you've been sold into slavery. You spent uh, seven or 13 years in prison uh, for something that you didn't do, placed there by someone that has lied about you. They fabricated a story about you. They actually wanted to kill you. And, you know, they have done you just this uh, terrible injustice. And the question is, can you forgive them? I mean, can you honestly forgive them? Now, I know that we say that we forgive with our mouth, and it's true, that's where it starts. We will forgive with our mouth. But, you know, how many times have we forgiven someone and you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. You're, th you're rehearsing that situation, rehearsing over and over and over again. If I could get my hands on them, just around their throat. You know, if you're thinking those kind of thoughts, you probably haven't really forgiven. And we've all been there. We've all done it. You'll wake up in the middle of the night and you start thinking about, you know, just this injustice that's been done to you, something that somebody said about you or a lie that someone told about you. And, you know, you just keep thinking about it over and over again, and you're, you're having a hard time getting past that. If that's you, you came uh, to a good uh, ser uh, service this morning. All right, let's pick up chapter 50. Uh, Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him, and he kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed uh, Israel. Forty days were required for him. For such are the days required for those that, uh, who are embalmed. And now the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. And when the days of mourning, and think about that, you know, I know that uh, uh, a lot of times, you know, you'll be at a funeral or someone close to you passes and uh, 
you know, we, we use a scripture that uh, sorrow comes in the evening or at the night, but joy comes in the morning. And, and we try to, many times, we try to, you know, get people. Of course, we, you know, if you have a heart of mercy, that's what you want to do. But you want to see people get past this place of mourning and the sorrow. And, uh, and so we'll try to encourage them to get past that. But this is the way that God has wired us. He's wired us for sorrow and grief. You remember that uh, Isaiah said about the Messiah that he was a man of sorrow and he was well acquainted with grief. And so I just want to tell you that it's okay to mourn. It's okay to have sorrow. It's okay to have grief. And we see here 70 days. I, I don't know of anyone else in the Bible that had that much, uh, you know, mourning done over them. I know that Moses had some, and we see Stephen in the New Testament that has a period of time, but the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. Now, when the days of mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself. Behold, I'm dying in my, in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. And we pick up again. This is after that funeral, after they've gone down into the land of Canaan. They come back into Egypt. It says, And so his sons did for him just as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the, in the cave in the field of Machpelah before Mamre, uh, which Abraham uh, bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt and his brothers and all who went up uh, to bury his father. And when Joseph's brothers, now pay attention to this, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. And so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, I believe, honestly, I believe that this story that they're about to tell uh, didn't really happen. I believe that they concocted this whole story. But they sent messengers up to Joseph saying, behold, your father died. He, uh, before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants, of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I believe that he wept so much because I think that he probably thought they'd already crossed this bridge, that they'd already, they were beyond that. You know, I can't believe that after all the goodness, after all the kindness that I've shown you, you know, I'm taking care of you, I'm providing for you, that you still think that there's evil in my heart that I want to do you injustice. And so Joseph weeps when they're telling him this. And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and said, now wait a second, I, I don't want to go too far. I, don't, I, I want to go back to the dream. Remember the dream? Remember one of the dreams? Remember the dream that got him in trouble? He said that, you know, we were out in the, in the fields and we were, were binding up sheaves. And, uh, you know, my sheaf stood up tall and all of your sheaves bowed down to me. And they said, are you serious? Are you serious? You think we're bowing down to you? You think we're bowing down to you? 
But that isn't the first time that that's happened in this story. But it happens here. He says, and then his brothers uh, also went and fell down before uh, his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, now listen to this. Because this is sometimes how these things unfold in our lives. But as for you, you meant evil against me. What's he talking about? Well, you sold me into slavery. Uh, you wanted to kill me. He says, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about as it is this day to save many lives. And now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And that's really what real forgiveness does. Speaking kindly and doing the right thing, helping and providing. So let me just walk you through three steps of forgiveness. The first step to forgiveness is that you have to release. You have to release. Uh, let's go back and look at verse 18 and 19. He says, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? What's he mean by that? Well, let me just show you that um, if you don't forgive, you put yourself in the place of God because only God has the right for vengeance or to take uh, revenge. Look at Levit Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. And so when you start to pay back, if you want to start paying back, you're putting yourself in the place of God. That's what Joseph was saying. Am I God? Am I going to put myself in the place of God to do you harm or to bring evil upon you because of what you've done to me? Vengeance means to bring justice to an unjust situation. In fact, the dictionary describes it uh, or defines it as punishment that is inflicted in return for a wrong. That's what vengeance is. And uh, they were afraid that he was going to do this. They were true. They were wrong. They were wrong in what they had done to Joseph. But he was saying, I'm not going to put myself in the place of God to bring vengeance upon you to get revenge. So listen, if you live a life with unforgiveness, you will always try to avenge yourself. You will spend your life trying to prove something rather than trying to please someone. God has not called you to prove something. You know, he's called us to be pleasing, to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So you have nothing to, uh, to prove, but you have someone to please. Um, you know, and as I said earlier, if you've got something that's going on, that's some, some wrong, and I want you to think about this for a moment because, you know, we have a tendency to think that, you know, we can have this, these feelings. If you were wrong and I'm right, I have a tendency to think it's okay for me to have these feelings because you were wrong, okay? But think about Jesus on the cross for a moment. I mean, here is Jesus, the perfect, sinless Christ, the anointed one of God, never done anything wrong in his life. He's been falsely accused. He's been lied about. He has been, uh, you know, tried uh, uh, unjustly. Uh, he's there before the world. He's been spat upon. He's been pierced, a uh, sword in his side, and he's looking down from the cross. Who's right? Who's right? Is Christ right or is the crowd right? 
Jesus is right. And he's looking down from the cross, and what does he say? Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. And so, you know, many times, like I said, when you find yourself in the right position and someone is wronged you, you're thinking, you're wrong, and I'm going to make sure that you understand that you're wrong, and I'm going to, you know, keep going back, and I'm going to keep going back until I convince you and show you that you're wrong rather than just simply forgiving and moving on. Um, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 8, I, was, we, I want you to just think about this for a second. In Hebrews 8, it says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. This is God speaking. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember, I will remember, I will remember no more. I will remember no more. And so if you're still remembering, you know, you're not like God in this place. You're not, you're not, you don't have the mind of Christ because he says that, you know, you've confessed, confessed it to me, your sins to me. I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you your sins and your trespasses, your iniquities, and I don't even remember it anymore. So when I'm lying in bed at night and I'm thinking about how, you know, wrong I've been treated, I'm not having the mind of Christ. I need to ask the Lord, God, help me. Help me to just get past this. I pray for them. I bless them. I speak blessing on them. Lord, bless them. Bless their lives. Second step to forgiveness is that you have to receive. Uh, now notice uh, again in verse 20 it says, Joseph is speaking to his brothers. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many lives or many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. I believe that the, the way that Joseph, the only way that Joseph was able to make a statement like that to say that, you know, I love you, I'm concerned about you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to protect you, I care for you, is because he had already forgiven in his heart. He had already forgiven in his heart, and he was willing to receive them into his life again. He brought them in. He didn't keep them in a distance. Remember when they go into Goshen, the Bible says that, that Pharaoh offered them the best of the land. Joseph was partly responsible for that, you know, getting his family the best. Now, that doesn't sound like a person that's holding a grudge. You know, if you've done me wrong and I'm really mad at you, I'm not going to give you the best. If I have something against you, I'm not going to give you the best. I'm going to put you back out there in the desert where there's not any water, where you have to walk miles every day to get water. And uh, it's, life is difficult, but Joseph... You know, through the anointing and favor of Pharaoh and God, you know, offers his family the very best. There was no bitterness. There was no grudge. There was no unforgiveness in his life. And so he was willing to receive them back into his family again, back into that warm embrace again, the loving kindness that he extended to them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 says, And forgive us our sins. We, we pray this prayer all the time. And forgive us our sins just as, now notice that, Forgive us our sins just as, kind of conditional there, God, I'm asking you to forgive me my sins just as I forgive the sins of these that have wronged me, that I think about every night, that I keep thinking about, I keep coming back, I keep coming back to that, I keep coming back to that person that's wronged me, that spoke against me. I see, if you knew what you were praying you probably wouldn't be praying that prayer, right? All right, so now we do know what we're praying. 
Well, let's read it in the, uh, in the Amplified, Matthew chapter 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. We've left, we've remitted, we've let go of the debts and have given up resentment against our debtors. In the same way, just as, in the same way that I forgive other people, God, I'm asking you to forgive me the same way that I forgive other people. Well, Matthew chapter 10 says, freely you have received, freely give. And what that means is that we have, God has freely given to us forgiveness. He has forgiven each of us freely. And so he says, as freely as you have received forgiveness, freely give forgiveness to those that have wronged you or harmed you. You know, the bottom line is that, that if you can't forgive, if you can't receive forgiveness, then you can't give forgiveness. I know that many times that we go through life and we're, uh, we're, we, we think about that something will, bad will happen in your life. And, and you've got this mindset, and this is when you think that you have to earn forgiveness, that, you know, just asking is not good enough, that you've got to do something, that you've got to pay for forgiveness, or that somehow you've got to earn God's forgiveness. And something bad will happen in your life, and you will say, well, that's just God getting even with me. I was having um, uh, lunch the other day with uh, a guy that works with one of the utility companies here in town as we're uh, going through the process of all of our permits and things. And, and he was telling me the story. You know, we were talking about family. We were talking about children. He said that they had three children, but his wife had a miscarriage. And he said that, you know, after the miscarriage, he, his wife constantly felt like it was like God was getting even with her for some sin or some wrong that she had in her life. I want to tell you that that's not, that's not how God works. That's not how God operates. God got even with Jesus so he wouldn't have to get even with you. You guys understand that? God got even with Jesus. All of his wrath was poured out on the cross. In that one day, in that one moment, all of God's anger, all of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. So he got even with Jesus so he wouldn't have to get even with you. Does that make sense? All right. Amen. That's the goodness of God. We can praise him for that, can't we? Let's do. Amen. All right, the third thing is that uh, the third step to forgiveness is that you've got to uh, you've got to receive and you've got to uh, release. And then the third step is that you've got to believe. Let me just walk you through some scriptures so that, you know, many times that we we understand this in our minds, we understand the word of God. That's what I said earlier that we're not coming just to, to obtain information this morning. It's got to go from our minds or from the Word of God uh, into our hearts. And so the, the third step to forgiveness, for you to you know, have that complete release and to be able to receive people back into your life, is that you've got to believe the Word of God. Now, uh, we, we read again in verse 21 that Joseph, speaking about Joseph, that he comforted his brothers and he spoke kindly to them. Now notice from Psalm 103, it says, as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Okay, think about it. The Word of God says, as far as the east is from the west. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, that, you know, if you start walking north, pretty soon you'll top out at the North Pole, and then you're just kind of heading south, okay? 
But if you start walking east, you just keep walking all the way around the world. You just keep going east. If you start going west, you just kind of keep going west. What he's saying, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our transgressions from us. And then another scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. This is that uh, prophetic scripture about the Messiah coming. Uh, and it, it, the, the whole uh, passage there describes what God is doing. But let's pick up in verse 6. It says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, God the Father, has laid on him, the Son, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Okay? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So two things that I, I want us to just get down. I want us to walk away this morning with these two things in our heart. Okay? As far as the east is from the west, okay, he has removed our transgressions from us. How far? As far as the east is from the west. And would he do with our transgressions? He laid them on on, on him, laid all of our iniquity. It says, and the Lord has laid on him all of our iniquity. As far as the east is from the west, the Lord has removed our transgressions from us, and he's taken all of our transgressions, and he's laid them on Jesus. That was what was happening when Jesus was being crucified. God had gathered all of your sin, all your yesterday sin, all your today's sin, and all your tomorrow's sin. He gathered it all up and laid it on Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is why the earth was darkened, and it was just like God was turning it back. We're going to look at a scripture here in just a moment that, you know, that God, it was almost like he couldn't even behold the evil that was happening. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. You're, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness, cannot look on sin. That's what he's saying. God is so, his eyes are so pure that he can't even look on the wicked. He can't look on sin. He doesn't even want to look on sin. It says that your eyes are pure eyes than to behold evil, and you cannot look on wickedness or sin. But then in Job says, in Job chapter 36 says, he does not take his eyes off the righteous. He doesn't take his eyes off the righteous. Now think about that for a moment. He can't look at the wicked. He can't look at the evil, but he can't take his eyes off of the righteous. You got those two thoughts in mind? He can't bear to look at the evil. He can't bear to look at the wicked, but he can't take his eyes off of the righteous. Now, that for some of us leaves us in a dilemma because we're thinking in our minds, you know, I know what my life is like. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I'm sinful and wicked and evil sometimes. And yeah, I, I, my heart longs for God, and yet the Word of God says that He can't even look at me. He can't even look at me. We'll look at this next scripture. Again, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayers. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that he, God the Father, made him, the Son Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, you guys got that? 
You got that? All right, so what that means is, you know, guys, have you ever, uh, I've, I've, I've been around people when this has happened, but have you ever hurt somebody and you wanted them to hurt you back? You know what I'm talking about? You know, I hurt you, just, here, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, just punch me. Just punch me. Hit me. You know, am, am I talking to anybody here? You know what I'm talking about? Just hit me. Just hit me. I, I, I want you to hit me. I want, I want you to get even with me. And see, we have that mindset with God. God, just, just hit me. Just hit me, God. I mean, I, I was wrong, and, and I, I did something wrong, and I want you to punish me. You know, as I, as I said before, that God laid on him. God, all of God's wrath, God, all of God's anger, he put on his son Jesus. He placed it on him when he crucified him at Calvary's cross that day. And so now, God can not only, he, he will not only look at you, but he will talk to you, and he will walk with you, and he will put his arms around you, and he will have fellowship with you because of what Jesus did. And that's good news for us. Amen. You know, um, oh, let me just kind of close with this last testimony. Uh, in Dallas today, there is a Jewish congregation. It's a Messianic congregation. And the rabbi of that congregation, his name is Marty Waldman, and he's got an incredible story that uh, his parents and grandparents were in Auschwitz and uh, in that concentration camp. And uh, they came to a place where they realized that the older uh, men and women realized that they weren't going to get out, uh, that they were going to die in this place. And so they devised a plan where the older uh, men and women in that concentration uh, camp devised a plan for about 20 young people to escape. And uh, Marty's mother and her sister uh, were part of that group. And uh, what they did is they, uh, they gathered money, they collected money, and they sewed it in her coat, uh, in his mother's coat, and uh, they began this plan for escape. Well, the night came when these 20 young people were going to escape, and uh, somehow the guards were alerted, and uh, they started firing shots, and Marty's mother's sister was shot and killed. And she went back to get her sister, and her sister died, actually died in her arms. And while she was holding her sister, the guards continued to shoot, and they shot Marty's mother through the legs so that she couldn't walk. And some of the young men that had escaped to the woods come back and pick her up and drag her back into the forest. Uh, then the next day, they found a German family that was willing to take her and treat her and mend her. They, they took all the money that was sewn in her coat and gave it to this family for the expenses of taking care of, of this uh, young girl. Then these, uh, these boys actually had gone back into the woods and was, they were hiding in the woods. They dug a pit where they could stay all day long. They would stay in this pit, and at night they would come out and forage for food in the city. And they did this for about a year, and after a year, they were discovered in, the, in, this, uh, in this pit, and uh, they were brought before what uh, appeared to be a firing squad, 
and the, uh, the uh, colonel asked uh, the, this group of 10 uh, boys, uh, are any of you a tailor? And Marty's father was a tailor, and he said, I am. He said, I'm a, I'm a tailor. Uh, and uh, he said, I want you to stand here, and I want the other nine of you to go stand against this wall. And he knew that they were getting ready to face the firing squad. And he said to the, uh, the colonel, I believe, in, that was in charge, he said, wait, wait, wait. I need an assistant. What they, they wanted a tailor, so someone, or they needed someone to sew and mend their uh, German uniforms. And uh, Marty's father says, wait, I need an assistant. And he had two very close friends. And he had to choose between one of those friends who would live and who would die. And he chooses one of these boys to become his assistant, and the other eight young men were lined up against the wall and all killed. Uh, they uh, are uh, Marty's father and this other young man are uh, being the tailor, mending the uniforms for a period of time, and then they get word that the Russians are starting to uh, invade. Uh, and so the colonel tells Marty and his friend to go get the horses and bring them back so that they, they could escape. Um, and Marty and his friend believed that this, this group of Germans was going to kill everyone that was left alive in that concentration camp. And so they took the horses and went the opposite direction. They went out to meet the Russians, and sure enough, the Germans did go by systematically and kill every person that was left alive in that concentration camp. About a year goes on, and uh, Marty's father, now this is way, this before Marty's even born, but Marty's father begins to search for the young girl that was shot in the legs. It takes him about a year to find her, um, you know, with his family. This uh, a a German family had adopted her and raised her, and uh, they meet, you know, he, he had met her, you know, while they were leaving the group of 20, and he goes back, and they get married, and, uh, you know, have children, and this is uh, Marty's uh, mom and dad. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, after he became the rabbi of this Messianic congregation in Dallas, he wanted to go back. He felt this urge to go back to Auschwitz and uh, to just stand on that ground, just to be there. And uh, at, before he went, though, uh, he... Uh, uh, all of his family and, and all of his life, you know, he, uh, he grew up and his last name was Waldman. It was a fairly common name, and so people were constantly asking, are you related to this person, are you related to that person? And he constantly found himself saying, I'm not related to anyone. All my family, all my family died in that concentration camp, except for his mother and dad. And... Uh, so he decides to go back, but before he goes back, uh, he meets a German. Uh, Marty's grandparents uh, all died in that concentration camp, and his family, except for his mom and dad, uh, all of his family dead there. But he meets this young man who's of German descent, whose grandfather was a German officer, at that same concentration camp. And they decide to go back together. And when they get there, the German officer's grandson 
begins to pray for all of the Jewish people. And Marty, the grandson of his grandparents and descendants, begins to pray for all of the German people, the German soldiers and their families. And uh, when he was asked, how could you do this? I mean, how could you, you know, stand there and pray for those people after all they did to your family? And he kind of smiled and said, it's easy because I know what Jesus has done for me and how much he's forgiven me. I want you to think about it for just a moment this morning, how much we've all been forgiven. And because we've all been forgiven so much, we've got to release those that have brought wrong and harm to us into our lives. Would you stand with me for just a moment?